For those of you I haven't met, my name is Aaron. Uh, some call me Father Aaron. You can call me whichever one you like. And I want to tell you a story about when I was at an Easter service 18 years ago. I was not a pastor. No one called me Father Aaron then. I was a skeptical graduate student. And I felt like I had seen too much and that I knew too much to join in the celebration that everyone else had in their hearts. I was watching people sing and dance and cheer and do the noise-making thing, but I found myself holding back. The more people celebrated, in fact, um, the more suspicious that I grew. I thought to myself, actually, it wouldn't be right for me to celebrate. I can't celebrate because it's probably not true. Why would I say that? Well, I'd lived long enough to, to experience this reality where you get your hopes up and then you're, you're let down. And so on the other end of that, you grow cynical. Has that ever happened to you? And so um, I believe that if you really looked into any kind of situation, if you dug deep enough, if you looked at the facts, the facts would not be good. If you looked at the truth, if you looked at the skeletons in the closet, that they would let you down and they would disappoint you and all your joy would evaporate. So the same reason I didn't go to the dentist very often, the same reason I didn't take, uh, you know, if the mechanic is like, should we check out the engine? Like, no, just, just the oil change, please. Why? Because I didn't want to like really look at a situation to see what's really, what's really going on because I didn't want to find out the facts because usually the truth is usually not good, right? Going to let you down. It's, you're not going to be rejoicing when you find out what's true. Ignorance is bliss. Plain facts can't be good news. And maybe you're in a cynical spot this morning. Um, you might be feeling yourself feeling, you know, cynical or suspicious this morning. The more people celebrate, the more you withdraw. I've been there. You might even be a follower of Jesus. You might be a part of Emmanuel, a regular churchgoer, and uh, you want to celebrate. And I remember wanting to celebrate, but something's holding you back. You're thinking to yourself, hey, look, the plain facts, if I really looked closely, couldn't be good news. So um, whatever the state of your mind and heart this Easter, I just want you to know I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you for, for joining us. And there's one thing that I want you to know, and that is that the joy of Easter really does begin with the truth of Easter. That's where it begins, the truth of Easter. The more carefully we look at the truth of Jesus's resurrection from the dead, the more grounds we have to rejoice. It's good news, not just for Jesus, but for our world. And it's for any situation that you're in that feels like does not have a happy ending. You have a situation like that in your life, you feel like this is a dead-end situation with no hope in it. So if you're skeptical, whether you're skeptical about that or skeptical that, skeptical that Jesus, skeptical that I can say skeptical, <laughs> um, or skeptical that Jesus rose from the dead, we're going to look at the best news in the world that has implications for every life and every story and every situation. We're gonna see that on Easter Sunday, you can have both intellectual integrity and sick dance moves. Jesus brings those together. So how are we gonna do that? We're gonna study one small section of a biography of Jesus written by a man named Luke. And Luke was a first century uh, physician, historian, and theologian. 2,000 years after uh, Luke finished his research and published his biography of Jesus, scholars in our day 
hold a consensus that Luke is both a careful and reliable historian. So we're gonna also reference other historical records from Jesus's day, but Luke is gonna be our foundation. We're gonna look at three findings from the day of the resurrection and beyond. And the first finding is this, finding number one, after Jesus was buried, no one saw him dead and many saw him alive. That is one of the basic facts of history that no one saw Jesus dead after he was buried and many people saw him alive after he, after he was buried. Large groups of people saw Jesus Christ after his crucifixion totally and completely dead. But once he was buried in the tomb, no one saw him dead ever again. Skeptics and non-skeptics. So let's look at Luke's plain description of the facts. Luke 24 verse one says this. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, and this is about 40 hours after Jesus was buried, they, a group of female disciples, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Um, that's burial spices. That's not spices that you bring to a living person. That's spices that you bring to a dead person. Verse two, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse three, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And that's just a plain description of reality. They went to find a dead body and they did not find the body. Don't miss this. Um, they did not expect him to be alive. They saw his corpse removed um, from the Roman cross after he died. They saw him buried. His burial tomb was sealed by a massive, likely um, square-shaped cube plug that was plugged into the side of the cave, the side of the tomb um, that weighed um, thousands of pounds. This tomb was guarded, sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers, not just one, but two or more, um, who if they allowed someone to rob the grave of the corpse, if they fell asleep on the job, they would be liable to death by Roman law. And so on Friday afternoon, Jesus Christ was buried. By early Sunday morning, his tomb was empty. And this basic fact of the empty tomb electrified all of Jerusalem, both believers and unbelievers. No one could dispute it, and people tried. In the words of Gerald O'Collins, a history professor at St. Mary's Twickenham, um, what was in dispute was not whether the tomb was empty, but why it was empty. We have no early evidence that anyone, either Christian or non-Christian, ever alleged that Jesus' tomb still contained his remains. Based on this one fact alone, droves of people in Jerusalem went from skeptics to followers of Jesus from 30 AD to 40 AD. Uh, Wolfhart Pannenberg, esteemed author and Harvard professor, puts it this way, it is hardly conceivable that the Christian message of the resurrection could have spread abroad in Jerusalem, which we have record of, unless the presupposition of the empty tomb were tenable. No one saw the corpse. No one saw him dead after he was buried, though they looked and searched in vain. On the other hand, many people um, claimed to see Jesus alive after his burial, including a group of female disciples who were first to proclaim the news. Um, there were also several hundred people, up to 500 people, who claimed that Jesus visited, him, visited them personally on a mountain in Galilee. And when it was published that they saw him, they were still alive and they could have refuted it. 
He also, uh, the 12 apostles claimed to see him several times in homes, on the beach, outside, inside. Two people walking from Jerusalem to their home in Emmaus. They walked with Jesus for several miles, so they claimed before hosting him for dinner. All of them said the same thing. We saw Jesus alive after his death. And they didn't just claim to see him in kind of a hazy, cloudy, hallucination type way. We're talking about groups of people who saw him at the same time, who ate food with him. They saw him chewing fish and swallowing it. They watched that happen. In fact, he personally dished up breakfast to several of them and they ate what he cooked. They sat at Jesus's feet after his resurrection, so they claim, through a Bible survey where he actually gave them a type of preaching course where he taught them, here's how you rightly interpret the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. Here's how to interpret it in light of my death and resurrection. And then they began to practice that in their own ministries. They touched his resurrection body. They um, traced their fingers over the scars from his crucifixion after he invited them to do that with an audible voice. And as we will see later, they left these encounters surging with joy. They were surging with hope when they left their encounters with Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're thinking, as I once did, this is just people talking. This is wish fulfillment. Um, is eyewitness testimony really accurate? Is it really true? Can we really trust these people? Well, let me tell you a story. In 2016, I was called up for jury duty here in the city of Chicago. It was for a gang-related murder case. The defendant was facing one count of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted murder. So the stakes were quite high for us, you know, an ordinary group of Chicago jurists to render the correct judgment. The case against the defendant rested on eyewitness testimony of three people. Number one, the driver of the getaway car who got a plea bargain. Number two, one member of the rival gang who did not get killed in the shooting. And number three, a woman who happened to be driving in the area. They each saw the murder from three different vantage points, and they all basically described the defendant as the one who got out of the car, pulled the trigger, and ran away. Now, as you can imagine, the defense did everything they could to discredit these three witnesses. They tried painting them as unreliable and biased. And so back in the jury room, when the case was done and we had to decide, we had to wrestle with this. Do we trust this eyewitness testimony? You know, these witnesses were not perfect people, right? There's not, these are not people that we're gonna go into business with, okay? But the fact remained, they were all at the scene of the crime and they were all saying the same thing. So after a lot of anguish, after a lot of deliberation, based on this eyewitness testimony, we, the jury, found the defendant guilty of murder. Now, his lawyers appealed our verdict to the Illinois Appellate Court in 2021 last year. After reviewing the case, here is the findings of the court. Quote, the record reflects that the evidence against the defendant was substantial. Multiple eyewitnesses placed the defendant at the scene of the crime, emerging from a dark vehicle with a gun in hand and shooting the three victims. End quote. Appeal denied, conviction upheld. Why? Eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony still matters in establishing the truth. Even in an age of video evidence, what is video evidence but more eyewitness testimony recorded? 
Eyewitness testimony helps establish the truth. It's not perfect, but it's something. And the truth matters, does it not? If Jesus' corpse showed up in Jerusalem, the whole enterprise falls apart. No one saw him dead, but plenty of people saw him alive, not as a resuscitated corpse, but as a risen Lord who ate food and taught classes and imparted power. All right? That's the first finding of Easter Sunday. Praise God. Here's the second finding. The second finding is that Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection ahead of time. Um, anyone filled out a bracket for the NCAA tournament? Were you a genius? I got third place in our bracket here at Emmanuel. Um, but it's like Duke, you know? They let me down again. Um, but I was watching, I was watching some um, CBS uh, sports commentators talk about their brackets. And they were each going through their brackets and talking about like, you know, how good these brackets still were, you know, after several rounds. You know, yeah, sure, this team's out, but this team is, this team is in. Um, why? They, they wanted to show off their credibility and expertise as, as people who could predict the future and who really knew sports, you know? But who could have predicted St. Peter's? I mean, anyway. The fact is that over and over again, Jesus Christ predicted two very unlikely things. Number one, his dramatic evil death at the hands of sinful men. Number two, his resurrection from the dead on the third day. He predicted those things over and over and over again, even when no one believed him, even his own inner circle. Um, and he didn't hedge at all. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised to life. No one really listened to him at the time. It seemed too crazy and too bad and too bewildering and just broke everybody's sense of what is possible in this world. So Easter morning was in some ways the ultimate I told you so moment, right? Or the ultimate he told you so moment. And you can even see that in Luke's um, like historical account of what happened there. Um, back in the tomb, the women did not find the body of Jesus in the tomb. So verse four, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood, stood by them in dazzling, or you could translate this flashing, apparel. And verse five, as, and as they, the women were frightened, and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, you know, just a straightforward question, why? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is, he's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And verse eight, oh, right, they remembered his words. They remembered his words. He predicted it, and it came true. He must be credible. You know, Jesus once made a claim about himself that I think is so important. He said, I am the truth. I, like, I'm a living embodiment of the truth. Like, he tells the truth, and he just is the truth. There's 0% spin from Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, fudge at all. He doesn't shade the truth even slightly. He just tells you what the truth is, and then he lives out the truth, even though it's consequential for his own suffering. There's just 0% fluff in Jesus, and it's refreshing, isn't it? Someone who will just tell the truth. If you wanna know the truth, ask Jesus. He said other hard but true things like this. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. If you're in the world and you're having trouble, you're like, okay, well, Jesus, at least he predicted it in advance. I could trust him. 
He said this, if you forgive other people, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their offenses, neither will your father forgive your offenses. It's like, well, helpful to know. Um, Right before he ascended to the father's right hand, he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus was willing to say hard things before and after his resurrection. And it's, it's quite refreshing, but the ultimate hard thing that he said is, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised to life. Know this, when we celebrate the resurrection today and for the next seven weeks, we are not celebrating a liar. Our celebration is not built on lies. It's not built on fluff. It's not built on manipulation. It's built on the truth. We are celebrating a man who loves the truth. He predicted the truth. He lived the truth. He is the truth. And that's the second finding of Easter Sunday. The third finding is this. The disciples of Jesus went from skeptical to courageous nearly overnight. They went from cowardly and cowering to courageous and bold nearly overnight. As soon as Jesus was arrested, most of the male disciples denied him, fled from him, or both. The female disciples stayed with him, and they were still discouraged and grieving. The crucifixion of Jesus crushed them. It crushed them all. They were in no condition to leave their huddle, unlock their doors, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. From their perspective, there was no gospel. It died along with Jesus. So I just want you to notice in Luke's biography how skeptical these people were, these these female disciples. Verse, uh, Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Okay, so now they're going to share the news. They're getting their heads around it, but they're gonna share the news with the men. And verse 11, but these words seemed to them, the men, like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So they're just skeptical. They don't believe the women. They didn't believe women were reliable witnesses in in that day. Um, They were wrong. Um, And um, they thought it was just like a falsehood. Like you're you're just making this up. You know, you're deluded. That's what they thought. Yet Peter, what does he do? He decides to investigate himself. I'm gonna go look myself. He looks at the facts and then his emotions begin to adjust to reality. And that means that his emotions, his psychological condition is going to adjust to reality that he finds. Verse 12, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So it's too good to be true for Peter, he marvels. The world is like turned upside down. His mind is blown, but soon he And other disciples will, Luke will call it marvel with joy. It's like, this is amazing, but almost too good to be true. I can barely believe it. Um, He will eat with Jesus, learn from Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit from Jesus. And then he will eventually, not long after this, stand up in front of 3,000 people and declare that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Um, Not only Peter did that, but the disciples of Jesus will go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which they would otherwise not go to were it not for Jesus, and the ends of the earth, boldly proclaiming to their deaths that Jesus died and raised to life. They they were courageous in this. They were fearless in this. 
Now, the psychologists among us know that this is not what grieving looks like. Grief is a well-documented process with well-documented patterns, and it doesn't look at all like what happened on Easter Sunday and beyond. For instance, denial is one stage of the grief process, right? And it comes at different times for different people. You can't, you can't make everyone go through the denial stage all at once. It's a natural part of letting go of something or someone that you love. And it gives way to other stages of the grieving process, like anger and acceptance. Yet denial as a psychological state cannot infer courage to an entire group of people who take it to their graves. Denial cannot bring joy and wonder in the face of death. It's an important part of the grieving process, but this is not that. There's only one thing that could have had that effect, and that is the living, breathing, eating, encouraging, teaching, and preaching King Jesus standing before your very eyes imparting power. I remember well the moment things changed for me 18 years ago at that Easter celebration. Someone approached me and my wife, Laura, to pray for us during the service. I was really locked up in my doubts and discouraged. I was skeptical. Um, I hadn't shared any of that with him. He didn't know any of that. And as he prayed for me, he was just really quiet, asking for the presence of the risen Lord. And then he said, Lord, I sense that Aaron might be facing some doubts right now. Would you help him work through his doubts? And as he prayed, the fog of skepticism uh, sort of seemed to, to lift as the power of Jesus and the peace of Jesus began to fill my heart and soul. I felt the spiritual stranglehold over my mind and heart loosen entirely because I witnessed firsthand the transforming power of Jesus that he knew my heart's condition, spoke quietly my heart's condition to this other person who could minister his minister the power of Jesus to me in a way that really changed my heart and life and my mind. And so I was free. I was actually liberated that day to celebrate with all my heart. I mean, I was like waving banners in the front. I didn't care. People made fun of me for it afterwards. I'm like, I don't care. The power of Jesus. I knew it was true. I knew it was true at that moment. He was alive. And he surprised me with joy. He surprised me with a happy ending to a story that I thought only had a dead end. So the thing is that the joy of Easter begins with the truth of Easter. The plain fact is that the tomb was empty. The plain fact is that no one ever saw Jesus dead after his burial, but many unrelated people saw him alive. The plain fact is that these encounters with Jesus changed their lives immediately and permanently. Hallucinations don't give you courage, but risen saviors do. The plain fact is that if Jesus was telling the truth about his death and resurrection, he can be trusted with everything else that he said. The plain fact is that if God the Father could raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he can do the same for you, he can do the same for your situation, he can do the same for our world. So it stands to reason, based on these facts and findings, that the joy of Easter is not manufactured, but is based in the truth. And if you trust in the man who is the truth, the best is yet to come. You have every reason to celebrate today, my friends. For 40 years or so, Tim Keller ministered to skeptics in New York City. 
He's now fighting for his life. He's fighting stage four cancer, but he's doing so in the certain hope of the resurrection. I wanna leave you with some words from Tim Keller about the resurrection. On the day that God makes everything right, the day that everything sad comes untrue, on that day, the same thing will happen to your own hurts and sadness. You will find that the worst things that, you have, ever hap- that have ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. On that day, all of it will be turned inside out and you will know joy beyond the walls of this world. The joy of your glory will be that much greater for every scar that you bear. So live in the light of the resurrection and renewal of this world and of yourself in a glorious, never-ending, joyful dance of grace. My friends, the dance floor is open. Jesus is alive. Let's celebrate together today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.